1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and welcome to On The Market. This is York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host and real estate expert is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime Properties. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. Now, while this is the first weekend of spring, it was also the week that the budget was released. And what does that mean for homebuyers? Well, there's, there's certainly a lot of noise made uh, in the real estate industry with the changes that they've made. I mean, they've introduced uh, a shared equity program. So as long as you're getting a mortgage with CMHC insurance, the government will contribute 5% equity share to your property. So this is for resale property. So if your income is less than $120,000, the government will actually share with you in the purchase. So what they're doing is they're adding it to the mortgage. It's it's pretty much an interest free type of loan, which you pay back when you resell the property. Wow, that seems like a, a good news kind of story. It kind of, and, and we'll get into it a little more in okay. detail. But if you're buying resale, it's 5%. If you're buying a new build, it's a 10% share. And, and again, this is through CMHC. Basically, what it does is it reduces your mortgage payment. So it makes it more affordable for people to purchase these homes. So let's take uh, an example of a $400,000 property. If you're putting down 5%, so you're putting down $20,000, your incentive through CMHC is another $20,000. So, sorry, it's a 10%, so it's $40,000. What that's going to do is your mortgage, your insured mortgage, is going to be $340,000 because CMHC's share is 10%, you've put down 5%, so it's like you're putting down 15%. Now, your monthly carrying cost for this would be $1,745, and they're, they're taking numbers just at like a 3.5% rate, amortized over 25 years. What does that mean to the purchaser? That means if you didn't have this incentive for the same place, you would be paying $1,973. Wow. So, so you're saving, saving a couple of hundred bucks. A couple of hundred dollars. Now, this incentive kicks in September 2019. So this is where I'm going to pick it apart a little bit. This is after the spring and summer market. So how many people actually move after September? So this isn't really going to mean anything for us right now because these programs are going to go into play September 2019. So if you're looking to get into a place right now, you know, the prices may go up by then. So that 10% may not mean as much as, as it would if it went into effect right now. The other thing is our main problem has always been supply. The the problems in the greater Toronto area, it's always been supply. I was a little bit disappointed that there was not a lot more done to address supply. Now, they're saying that this incentive will help people buy more new builds. It'll, it, it'll give an incentive to the builders to build more because now more people can afford it. I would have liked to see a little bit more in terms of concrete solutions. Now, they've they're going to do more research into the supply, and so that's coming. The impact of the stress test, they're going to be looking into that more. And you've talked about that a great deal because you've wanted that to be under review. Exactly, and and not only under review. I think we're at the point now where we need action taken, and we need to reduce it by at least 1%, uh, if not, get rid of it. But 
you know, just to say, hey, we're going to be looking at this. We we know that there's a problem here. It doesn't really mean it's not enough. That would open up affordability. You know, it, it affected people by about 16 percent when it came out. So let's let's just remind our listeners, what is the stress test? The stress test makes you qualify for a rate that's 2% higher than what the bank is offering. And that way, the bank knows that if the rate is climbing, you're okay to handle this mortgage up to 2% higher than what their uh, rates are. This was good when the rates were really low. When we, we you could get a mortgage for 2.3% or 2.5%, sure, you had to qualify for a little bit higher just in case something happened because we knew the rates were going to go up. Now the rates have gone up. Are they really going to go up another 2%? Probably not. I would say 90% sure that they will not go up 2% from where they are right now. So why are we making people qualify for something that is not even going to affect them? Okay, now if we go back to this incentive that was uh, was talked about in the federal budget earlier this week for new home buyers, and you're saying that they would have to wait until September of this year to actually take advantage of this program. What what is your concern? What is the problem with waiting? The problem with waiting is right now the market is just starting to take off. So you know we we're at the price that you're going to pay for something right now is lower than it was 2 years ago it's lower than it was maybe in 4 or 5 months because now we're starting to see multiple offers as we're starting to run out of inventory if you want to call it that as inventory decreases you're starting to see multiple offers come through on a resale they're offering an incentive of 5% which is going to mean absolutely nothing because if you buy something right now you're saving 5% from where things will be in multiple offers later down so, you know, you, when you're qualifying this, it, it's easy to pick this apart and say, hey, this isn't that good. It, it's a great incentive because it will allow some people to get into the market that can't right now. But what does that mean? Once you break it down and say, well, it's they're contributing 5%, but I may have to pay 5% more in September, October, or November. Is it really worth it for me to wait? Probably not. And is it too little too late? Because in September, you know the industry obviously better than I, uh, isn't that the time when people want to be in their homes already? They do, especially if you've got children, you want them to be in in September. The other thing is, in September, prices are generally higher because there's less competition on the market for sellers. So when you want to buy something in September or October, you're paying a little bit more anyway because you need that competition on the market as a purchaser you want to have as much inventory so that you have a choice and you'd kind of dictate the terms to the sellers to say, well, there's three other properties just like this on the market. So if you don't want to take this offer, I'm going to go and try on, on one of the other homes. That's the beauty of the spring market for buyers. And that's why you get a lot of buyers out there at that time. By making them wait until after September, you're almost taking that purchasing power away from them. All right. Well, more conversation, I'm sure, on this budget in the weeks to come. But when we come back, expert advice from a real estate lawyer and how to get out of a contract. Stay with us. You're listening to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. 
You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On The Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime Properties. Thank you, Tina. Joining us next on the show is one of our regulars, real estate lawyer and broker, Ricky Rathor. Ricky, welcome to the show. Love it. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. Ricky, our, our focus is contracts, purchase and sale agreements, and what it means when you sign on the dotted line. Now, what we're seeing is with the market heading back into the, the heated state it was a couple of years ago, and, and we're starting to see multiple offers. And what we saw earlier, you know, two, three years ago, was people coming back and saying, hey, you know what? I just woke up. I'm thinking I paid too much for this house in multiple offers. Maybe I just won't give the deposit. Can you tell us a little bit about what the buyer has signed and is accountable for and what their outs could be? Absolutely. So with the deposit, what's uh, what's important to appreciate is that the deposit is a good faith deposit, which means that irrespective of you putting it down or not, once you've signed on the dotted line, that contract is valid, binding and enforceable in a court of law. And so you have to be very careful. Some people call me and say, I'm just not going to put the deposit within the 24 hour period. Well, guess what? If you don't, if you're a minute late, most OREA contracts, which is what most registrants are using today, have a time is of the essence clause in it. So what, what, what ends up happening is the seller, if they're supported by the right law team can end up sending a nice lovely note saying that you're now in breach of contract we're going to go ahead and, and mitigate our losses and let's say for example the second offer was ten thousand dollars less they'll go back accept that offer now or work with that individual not only sue for the deposit and sue for the difference if there's a loss of profit in that situation now, now what happens when the seller wakes up and thinks they took too little is there a way for them to get out of it because that's something that we also uh faced uh, about two or three years ago where sellers were waking up and, and saying, man, you know what? I only got $75,000 over, only $75,000 <laughs> over, but maybe I could have got 90 or maybe, maybe I could have got 100. And they'll call the realtor and say, can you get me out of this transaction? Now, when the seller signs, it's the same, right? They're, the implications are the same. So let me give you a funny example, real example. I had a situation where a seller uh, accepted an offer at noon. Okay, The deposit was due by 5 in accordance with the agreement. The registrant put it together that way. At 5.15, the registrant was coming off of a late lunch. He had his deposit in his hand. And at 5.05, we sent him a nice love letter saying that your deposit's now late, you're in breach of contract, and we're going to go ahead with an offer that's $75,000 more. And he sent me a nice, strongly worded email saying, you know, my clients are losing their dream home. And my simple response was, you understood the implications of signing the agreement, and unfortunately, you're in breach of contract, and that's the end of it. And so most registrants today, backed by good brokers like yourself, will put together contracts that are ironclad and are meant to be enforceable. And so we catch these loopholes. some places in the U.S., as an example, you can, have a, you can have a due diligence clause or you can have a clause that makes the agreement conditional upon your partner's approval. That kind of a provision may give you an out, as an example. But again, there's a good faith provision implied into every contract, and it's not so easy. So you have to make sure you've carefully considered the terms and conditions before you sign off on that line. And, and that's great. But in multiple offer situations, no one's going to get uh, a due diligence clause or uh, an approval by the spouse clause. So when when they're signing on that contract, that in the heat of that multiple offer situation, when you're signing off on the contract, you really need to know that it's going to be binding. Exactly. And you know what? It's innate in human nature to want more. We always want more. And so when you're signing off on that line, 
you talk to your real estate sales representative, broker, agent, whatever it is, and ensure that you are getting the deal that you want to get. If you're not, no one's putting a gun to your head and telling you to go ahead and accept that deal. But be careful with that because once you do sign it, it is valid and enforceable. And do you not have that 24-hour period of breathing room, though? No, absolutely not. That's not how it works. So the deposit's a good faith deposit. Once you've signed off, you've signed off. So I had a situation where, for example, the um, the uh, purchaser said, I, I can't get financing. We later find out they didn't even try to get financing. And that's, the, that's, again, a breach of contract. That's lack of good faith. So you can't use a condition, for example, for financing or inspection and use that for an ulterior purpose after the fact when you think, oh, I paid I, I paid way over what I should have paid and I should try to get out of the deal now. It doesn't work like that. And on that point, if I may, as a seller, you may want to carefully consider whether you're going to sign a mutual release or not. You don't have to sign a mutual release. Consult your attorney, speak with your agent and find out if it's in your interest to accept that or not. What's a mutual release? So mutual release, just like when you sign an agreement, two parties are coming to the table, right? And they're, they're agreeing to terms and conditions under the agreement. They can also absolve that contract by virtue of a release. So the mutual release is an ORIA document that more most registrants use today, which is designed to get the buyer and seller out, and it's a form of a settlement. So if the parties come to terms, that's fair. They can do that just like they agree to the contract. They can agree to withdraw from the terms of the contract, but you have to be careful when considering these options. Now, when a mutual release is uh, you know, in the works, if they haven't given their deposit, you need to release them from the agreement of purchase and sale. Yeah, so you need clear language. You want to make sure there's an adequate paper trail so that when you're pulling these pushing these buttons and pulling these strings that you're able to do it from a legal perspective. Otherwise, it could be a, a, a legal issue and nobody wants to end up in court. More often than not, than not, people will settle through the mutual release and make things happen, but you have to be careful. And just back to Tina's point about the cooling off period, there is a 10-day cooling off period for new bills, but it doesn't apply to resale. Exactly. Okay, so yeah. you do have that moment of, okay, maybe I can think this through, because you do get caught up in the heat of the moment, as you said, Asif. But that's very strict. It's only with new condos, and it's not 10 business days, it's 10 calendar days. So you have to be familiar with the nuances. You need to make sure you're properly represented. Wow, you really need someone to support you and to hold your hand through these, this process. Well, that's the whole point of hiring a good agent and paying the proper commission so you don't end up getting services that are lackluster. Exactly, and that's what we tell people when they go into new builds as well, especially to a, a builder launch when they're buying homes or condos. You really need that representation because everyone in that sales office is representing the builder. So you're, the chances for them protecting you, although they do exist, you're going to have a better chance at having a realtor represent you or your own representative going in with you to make this purchase. We've had instances where people have had to pay forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars in extra development charges. And that is because they didn't have the proper representation and they didn't cap the development charges beforehand. So there's two things I want to comment on that. So that's a very valid point. One thing you have to appreciate is that when it's a resale transaction, you're using two registrants, one for the buyer, one from the seller. Hopefully that's what you're doing. You're not acting in multiple representation. That contract is fair and balanced. It's a, it's a document created more particularly by Ori, and it's a very fair document. So your agents, your registrants are able to go in and negotiate in your favor and do what's in your best interest. When you go to a new development project, that contract is not drafted by agents. Those are drafted by the vendor solicitor, and they're usually you know, 50, 60, 70 pages long and there's not one provision in that contract that benefits you and more people more often than not consumers don't understand that hey the builder's not committed to the project until for example they've sold 75% of the units or 85% of the units or they've got 3 years to satisfy financing conditions so you might put down your deposit now thinking you know 5 or 6 years you're going to get this 
great, beautiful condo. And then you find out two and a half years later that they couldn't get funding and the contract's now at an end. Yikes. And what happens to the deposit in those situations? Well, it's returned. But okay. the fact of the matter is... But is they've that, held your money for all those years yeah. and all that time. And, you know, you've lost out on yeah. other opportunities, perhaps. And it's so important. And so as an attorney, when I got, get involved in the review of a contract, one of the things I do is I Google Terry on Builder Search. Search the builder. If you see the builders done projects in Ontario and they don't have any sort of chargeable conciliations, you've seen that they've given thousands of possessions, you're probably going in for the right purchase. If you're going in with a new builder that has no track record whatsoever, you might want to think about it. And also with the new builds, with the contract skewed as much as it is towards the builder, there's a lot of outs that the builder has. But have you seen or have you built in any outs for the actual purchaser? So, it, again, it depends. The unfortunate position right now for most new developments is that it's a take-it-or-leave-it approach. You don't want it, there's 50 other people at the door. So you're lucky to have a unit at this point. So what we try to do from our law firm's perspective is we equip the purchaser with a schedule. It's a couple pages long. And it's designed to deal with the development charges and levies and the caps and whether you can list the property during the occupancy period or not on MLS. Can you assign the contract? We try to cap off all these things. More often than not, the builder comes in and says, you know what, take it or leave it. That's up to you. We've got other people who want it. And so at that point, it becomes a business and financial consideration, not a legal one. And more often than not, as a lawyer, my job is to explain the legal rights and obligations you may have. But more often than not, business and financial considerations will trump that. And that's fair, but that's the cost of doing business. And I think that's, you know, that's the valid point here, Ricky, is that, you know, you do have 50 other people lined up for that condo or that unit. And the builder can say, see you later. And that's when someone gets caught up in the moment and thinks, I got to just purchase this right now and not think about all of that, all of those other elements that come into play. And that's exactly what happens in a multiple offer situation, too. You know, the 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 consumer and what they're thinking, they want to go in and, you know, it's innate in human nature to want what you can't have. When you see 10 other people who want the exact same thing you want, you're thinking, how can I clutch on that? How can I make this deal happen? And sometimes what you should be doing, what your, what your brain is telling you to do, your heart isn't going to let you do because you don't want to lose out. Your wife really wants the home or your husband really wants the home or your kids really love the home and you don't want to pass up the opportunity. And so we end up making these deals in those heated moments and then we go back and we kind of regret them, you know, and, that, and that's, that's really the crux of the matter there. That's, that's really interesting, Ricky. Now, one last question now, speaking of people trying to get out of these deals. We're getting a lot of people that are coming to us and saying, hey, I bought this new build three years ago or two years ago, and now the values are less. How, what do I do? How do I treat this? So at that time, you made a business decision, right? It was a financial consideration. You saw a prospect. You're going to get a new, lovely home, brand new, never, never lived in in a couple of years, and you're hoping that the values have gone up. Now, in some instances, we're seeing, you know, in properties in Curtis and Bowmanville and certain areas where properties haven't gone up, they've actually come down a little bit. So clients will call me and say, we made a bad deal. Can we go back and ask the builder for a reduction? Yeah, you can ask. But on the flip side, if you were the seller and the market doubled, would you go back to the purchaser and say, hey, I need another 150 thousand you can't you can't do that and so again the contract is a contract and you know sometimes unfortunately with the timelines that we deal with it is a business calculation you have to make that's awesome ricky straight talk with ricky or thor thank you very <laughs> much for uh, joining us again and sharing your insight thank you anytime when we come back we get to your real estate questions and this week's hot listing and just a reminder if you missed any part of our show go to 1059theregion.com and click on schedule to find on the market and a list of our other shows you're listening to 1059 the region stay with us 
Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show on 105.9 The Region. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with Remax Prime Properties. Time now for our listener questions. The first one comes from Randy in Thornhill. Asif, she wants to know, um, she plans to list her home at the beginning of April, but she's worried that her house will be lost in the crowd, and she'll be forced to reduce her list price. Should she wait for a less busy time to list her home? Thoughts? Great question, and and you know this is the opposite of what we usually get. You know, people want to get on the market, and they they want to figure out when they should list. So, the end of February, beginning of March is a great time to list because you do beat the the rest of the competition to the market. However, right now we don't have a lot of inventory, and inventory has been coming down. So, Randy, you're okay to go on the market next week. As the the earlier you go on, the better, because you want to beat your competition. The other thing is, Easter's a lot later this year than it was before, and generally we see a lot of homes come on the market just around Easter, because they take that Easter break to fix up their homes, get them on the market. So Easter being later, we're going to start to see a lot of the inventory come near the end of April. So if you're getting on at the beginning of April, that is great. And there's a lot of ways that you can make your hands, your home stand out from the rest. So, you know, you can put in different lighting. You can, uh, with the weather being nicer now, you can fix up the landscaping a little bit. So there's a lot of stuff that you can do to make your ha- home stand out. And do you find that at this time of year, you do have the opportunity to really showcase your home a lot better than, you know, during late fall and winter? It really does. It, it's pretty blah in late fall and early winter because you've got the snow on the ground. It's everything's gray, and and now you start to see people fixing up their front yards and you know getting getting the grass ready and things like that. So you've got a lot more opportunity to showcase your home now than you do before. And we joke that. If your backyard or front yard are really ugly, wait till it snows and then put it on the market, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then you surprise everyone else. But you know, in a market that is coming up, the spring market, the summer market, you have a lot of opportunity to really showcase the different areas, the outdoor areas of your home. So your advice to Randy would be then, if you can, go ahead as soon as possible. Don't even wait till the beginning of April. Just go ahead right now and list as soon as you can. Yeah, and give us a call so we can maybe drop by and, and tell you what you need to do before you go on the market because there might be some minor tweaks that really do make your house stand out. And We, we know most of the uh, houses that are on the market right now, we want to be able to position you to sell before they do. And what does that mean, position them to sell? Because, you know, you think that you've you've done the decluttering, you've straightened everything up, you've tried to get as much personal items out of the home. What else are you going to do to position that home, as you say? You want to you wanna make it stand out so it sells first. You want to be the first one off the bus. So even if you're getting on the bus later, you want to position yourself in that bus that you're able to get off at the next stop and, and that you want to be first. Our next question comes from Jamie in Richmond Hill. He purchased a pre-construction condo, has lived in it for a year, and now wants to sell because the value of his unit has gone up. He wants to know how does selling a condo differ from selling a house and should he expect an open house or two? Asif, what do you think? Great question, Jamie. And there, there's a lot of differences in selling a condo versus selling a house. And and the main differences are, one, you, there's a lot of different 
areas where you would focus on for your home when you're selling it and buyers would focus on like, you know, is the roof new, windows, furnace, where in a condo, you don't have to worry about some of those aspects. The other thing is marketing it is very different because you don't have a backyard to for landscaping and things like that where you know you're you're just selling what's inside of those four walls usually there's no home inspection condition with the financing you have to make sure that uh, the banks do uh, finance some there's some buildings that banks will not touch so you want to make sure there's a status condition involved you need to order a status certificate from your management office it costs about $100 sometimes if you want to rush it it's $200 so you want to get all of these pieces in place while you're selling the condo and the status certificate is only good for 30 to 60 days I believe so you want to time it so that when you do sell your condo it's ready to go in a multiple offer situation you may want to order the status earlier and have it ready so that people can come in without any conditions so there's a lot of differences uh, and also there's uh, amenities that are in the building as well, whereas in a home, you don't have those amenities. So are you allowed to showcase those and show them off? Because I think that's part of the the, the value of a condo. It certainly is. And, and there are different criteria and, and rules that management companies have with what you can show and what you can't show. So because of privacy laws lately, you haven't been able to show the pool area or the gym, but you can always include pictures. Now, it depends if there's nobody in those areas at the time that you're seeing these condos. Sometimes the security will say, yeah, no problem. There's no one in there right now. Go take a look. But most, more often than not, they will say, no, you can't see the amenities. And what about, you know, when you're driving through a neighborhood, you're going to notice those for sale signs. What kind of signage, and I'm using air quotes here, is there when uh, a condo is for sale? So you're not allowed to have signage around the condo building, first of all. The the other part of the question was, uh, you know, can you do an open house or two? It depends on the area. If you're in a high traffic area, like, say, Liberty Village in downtown Toronto, sometimes you see open houses there because there's a lot of walking traffic and, and people want to capitalize on that. And the buildings are okay with that. There's some buildings that will restrict open houses because they don't want outsiders just walking through their building. So you need, you know, basically, if you do an open house, you need two real estate agents, one to receive people and take them upstairs and another one in the condo to receive them there and show them around. So it is a bit more complicated than just selling a house. It sure is. Okay. And if our listeners, Asif, want to connect with you directly for more questions and answers, how can they do that? The best way to connect with me would be to give me a call at 416-985-CON. That's 416-985-CON. Five, four, two, six. And just before we go, this week's hot listing and joining us next is Heather Cooper from Remax Prime Properties. Heather, over to you. Thanks, Tina. This week's hot listing is a huge, beautiful condo at 2 Raymerville Drive in Markham. The suite features two bedrooms, two full bathrooms, and is over 1,100 square feet. This place is huge. The condo has it all. It's got a full laundry storage room plus an ensuite locker, beautiful forest views from the picture windows and balcony. The building amenities include a gym, pool, sauna, party room, and tons of visitor parking. Asif, what do you think about this property? This is a great location. So 2 Raymerville is right at McCowan, just north of the mall. So it's just north of Markville. You're really close to Highway 7. You've got transit. You've got all the amenities surrounding you, plazas. There's, You've got everything right there. And it's a large unit. It's over 1,100 square feet, right, right, Heather? Yep. It is. And if you have someone going to high school... Markville Secondary School is right across from there. It's a great place to be. Is it a new building? 
It's not a newer building. It's an older building, but it's been very well maintained. Okay, so Heather, one more time, where our listeners can get more information. For more information, they can contact Susan Taylor at 905-554-5522. Thanks, Heather. You're welcome, Tina. Asif, that's our show for this week. Thank you, Tina. Remember, if you need to connect with Asif Khan or if you missed any part of On the Market, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.